your Euro 2020 and Copper America finals preview here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Get started today and you'll get risk-free bets of $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We'll support you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com and the promo code SGP. We'll support you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at UnderdogFantasy.com with the promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in Best Ball Mania 2 for a chance to win $1 million. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app in the App Store or the Google Play Store today. It 
is a blue day in London. Italy are the champions of Europe for the first time in 53 years. And they thoroughly deserve their moment in the spotlight. You are listening to your Euro 2020 wrap-up show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network on Twitter at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. Check out my website, lockbetting.com, where I am going to guide my clients to their 98th month in a row of Transparent Track Profit. Off the back of the Euros ending, we now have posted the PL for June 2021. It is the pinned tweet at the SGP Soccer Twitter account. That's at SGP Soccer, at SGP Soccer. And you can see the PL for June, where we made our clients nearly 14 units. And that was coming out of a hole where we were four and a half units down with Rafa Nadal not winning the French Open and the Brooklyn Nets not winning the East in the NBA, but we still recovered to make nearly 14 units for our clients. That's nearly $2,000 of profit for the month of June. And in the month of July, we are already well in the black and looking for that 98th month in a row. There still is time to sign up to get the futures for next season's domestic leagues. However, if you do sign up on August the 1st, those futures will still be available there for you to see and get on at the start of the month. So there isn't too much to come other than the Olympics. And if you're not interested in betting in the Olympics or the end of the uh, NBA season, then I would wait until August the 1st to become a member of LockBetting.com as we will be chasing down our 99th month in a row of transparent track profit. What that means is that for over eight years, I haven't had a single losing month with my service. And that included a successful Euros. We landed over five units with our Euros futures. We had a good tournament overall, despite not picking the the overall winner at any point in this tournament. As soon as France went out, I jumped onto the England bandwagon. So at no point did I have Italy as anything more than semi-finalists as tipped in the future show that we did we still managed to make a healthy profit. So when you're looking at these tournaments, there's loads and loads and loads of bets available to you other than having to get yourselves the the winner. Not picking the winner is not really essential. In fact, the, the winner can, um, can be something that you can see during the tournament in terms of looking at how teams play. Everybody wants a, a winner's pick at the top, so that's why we give one. We weren't actually invested solely in a winner my my main pick in terms of who won the competition would be that it would come out of group f but we lost all of those group of death teams in the uh, last 16 i think that was one of the biggest surprises of the tournament the surprises ended up 
um, kind of evaporating as we got later into the tournament. The round of 16 was pretty brutal with the Czech Republic getting rid of the Dutch and Switzerland getting rid of France. But I think once we got down to the final four and we did lose the Dutch, it wasn't a surprise that Denmark were the team there waiting for England. What was a surprise is that Denmark were there after their poor start, losing their first game to Finland in the Christian Eriksen situation. And their recovery was, was incredible. But other than Holland, they were the best team out of that quarter. So it wasn't a surprise to see them coming there against England. I said at the top of the at the top of the tournament that England would reach the final if they reach if they got out of their last 16 game. However, I thought they would lose that last 16 game if they were going up against either France or Portugal, who I think were were more set up to beat England and Italy have proven that. Italy proved that that would have been the case, but I said this German team was the one team coming out of the group of death that England could be. I thought this team were very, very disorganised and disjointed going into the tournament in terms of playing someone like Joshua Kimmich out of position on the right-hand side, identifying that big gap between the, the deep-sitting back three and the high-pressing midfield, which including no defensive midfielder once you use uh, Joshua Kimmich on the right-hand side. And that's why it wasn't a surprise for me to see England getting through to the final. We'll talk about that in a minute as we do our post-mortem for the final. But um, this German team were very, very poorly managed going into the tournament. And uh, Joachim Lowe, despite having a successful period as the German manager, he got it all tactically wrong going into these Euros. And it would not surprise me if Hansi Flick fixes that team up very, very quickly and they become very strong contenders for the next World Cup and even possibly win it. And I think that will sicken fans, England fans, even more because they haven't won this tournament. And there is an expectation that because we reached the semi-final and because we reached the final here, that we are improving and we are going to go one better at the next tournament. I certainly don't think that will be the case. You cannot get two draws. You cannot get two draws in international football that open up for you as good as these last two have done. England should have reached the final at World Cup 2018. And they sure as hell should have won this tournament two days ago. I have deliberately not gone straight in and done this show immediately after the full-time whistle. Or even the next day. I've taken a 48-hour period to digest everything that's gone on after this tournament. And the aftermath of England not winning this tournament has been absolutely embarrassing. We've had a lot of casual takes, be it from guys that don't watch every week or or women that only watch every two or four years. There's some takes out there that are absolutely ridiculous. I've seen people advocating for the final to be replayed because at some point during the game, there is a photo taken of um, Chiellini pulling back Sacco's shirt. And it looks like he's strangling with his shirt. The, the image is, is captured in a way that it looks a lot worse than it actually was. It was a standard yellow card. But I've seen people saying that this should be a red card and it should be replayed. I've seen some women out there saying that this should have been a red card and a penalty when it was a foul on the halfway line. It's just ridiculous that it, that it brings out the, the morons like this with the, with the casual takes that don't make any sense. England were completely outplayed. As soon as they came up against a, a good team in this tournament, which was the Italians, a team that were able to match England as far as the, the betting odds go, 
then what you saw was England failing to failing to cope with it, and we saw England not winning that game. Now, obviously, it went down to penalty shootouts, but the Italians were dominant throughout that game. England, as soon as they went ahead, and this is Gareth Southgate's massive error, allowed Italy to have sixty five percent of the ball. You allow a team to go sixty five percent of the have sixty five percent of the ball, and you sit on a lead that you got after three minutes. That is a mistake. And Gareth Southgate was totally out of his depth. He's a defensive manager who was pragmatic through the whole tournament and shackled all of the exciting and potentially world-class players that England had that we did not see appear in this tournament. I'm talking about Sancho. I'm talking about Foden. I'm talking about Jack Grealish, all of which did not reach their potential or have any impact here in this tournament. As far as the so-called perceived monumental achievement of England reaching a final, I pulled up England's pick prices here in this tournament throughout. Um, it was minus 400 that England would beat Croatia. It was minus 1,000 that England would beat Scotland. It was minus 550 against the Czech Republic. Minus 140 against the Germans. Minus 700 against Ukraine. Minus 350 against Denmark. And minus 130 going into the Italy game. Remember, these are pick prices. These are not money line prices. These are pick prices. Also not to qualify prices. But you can see that England were significant favourites to win every single game. I wouldn't say the final was significant. But the fact is, is that we had six games at home and uh, Gareth Southgate blew this with his poor negative tactics, especially from a 1-0 position. The thing to do would have been to find a way to maintain more ball possession as soon as you went ahead in that game. Now, you could have ridden these tactics out to half-time, even though it was clear the midfield that you picked, the two-on-three situation that you put yourself into, meant that Italy dominated the ball in that midfield the entire time. Rice and Phillips were completely overrun with the three-and-two deficit that England had by picking this um, three-four-three uh, three, three, formation, which is actually five at the back. And yeah, we had a lot of people at the back line where we were just constantly, constantly inviting pressure. Uh, Mason Mount on the left-hand side was completely irrelevant and ineffective in this game. The guy has no pace. How can you be playing on the left-hand side whilst you've got the likes of Foden, Rashford, Sancho, Grealish, all on your bench and um, you didn't think to bring any of these players on to give England an outlet because an outlet for England when they were 1-0 down would have meant that Italy had to think about who was up there. Italy had to think about the counter-attack. Italy wouldn't have been able to commit as many men forward. The fullbacks wouldn't have been allowed to press on as wingbacks essentially. But what happened was is that Leonardo Benucci and Chiellini were able to drop back and alleviate any of the danger that England were able to pose and push more men forward to press up England high up the pitch and England were never able to get out. England mustered two shots on target in this entire final. You don't deserve to win if you do that. And your tactics are completely wrong if that's the end result against an Italy team that, yes, have won the tournament, but no, they had a real lack of world-class players. Benucci's world-class. Chiellini was world-class in his peak. Donnarumma is a contender now to go on and be the, the best goalkeeper in the world, even though it's likely that he will start as the number two choice at PSG next season. Uh, Verratti and Jorginho are on the on the on the edge of world class. Uh, so is Chiesa, but still there would be more England players that you would take here. So we haven't lost to a quality Italian team. We've lost to an Italian team that featured players that are squad players at Juve. We featured an Italian team that started Emerson at left back, the third choice left back at Chelsea. We should have beaten this team. There will be no better opportunity in my lifetime. 
I'm confident here coming on this show today and telling you I will not see England win anything at a major tournament after blowing this situation. And as I said, the reaction out there by the supporters has been embarrassing on every level. The bad takes are embarrassing, saying that England were hard done by. The bad takes saying that we deserve to win. The, the takes out there that are saying that we are heroes. How are we heroes when you run through the pick prices of what England did in this tournament? Minus 400, minus 1,000, minus 550, minus 400, minus 700, minus 350, minus 130. It's consistent with the last competition where England lost every time they came up against competent opposition. Uh, opposition. In the group, we came second in the group behind Belgium. Belgium beat us in the group stage. We managed to scrap to a win over Tunisia and a win over Panama. As soon as we came up against tough opposition or tougher opposition in Colombia, we ended up going to a penalty shootout and narrowly getting through against the Colombians. In the quarterfinals, we beat Sweden. Then we came up against competent opposition in Croatia. We were still favourites to reach that final, and we didn't. We lost the game in extra time. What did we do when we went 1-0 up? A free kick from Kieran Trippier went in. England decided to sit on that league because Gareth Southgate is a negative and pragmatic manager. We allowed Croatia back in the game. We we once again allowed Croatia to dominate the midfield again with the likes of uh, Luka Modric and Rakitic. They dominated that game in midfield. Croatia got back into it and they won the game in extra time. That didn't happen this time with the Italians. But again, they were the team more likely in extra time. The same mistakes. And once again, as soon as a competent team comes up, England are defeated. There are there is nothing to celebrate here. There is no heroic run to the final. We started as tournament favourites, joint favourites with the French, largely down to the fact that we had all of these home games to play. So the fact that you're lauding these people as heroes doesn't really make sense to me because Gareth Southgate isn't a hero. He's a manager that blew the greatest opportunity that we ever had. The players aren't necessarily to blame because the wrong players were selected by the manager. The players can only play how they play on a week-to-week basis. We know what all of these players are. When we go out there and we pick five at the back, with Phillips and Rice sitting in front of them, we've gone. We've essentially gone seven people there, seven defensive-minded players there in our team lineup. That is a negative approach, especially when you consider the the caliber of players that England have coming through and that will have in the 2020 World Cup as well. And we will blow it again. And I don't think we'll get another draw like this. It's very unlikely that you get two amazing draws like this that basically give you a free pass all the way to the final. It has been a massive letdown. And uh, as for um, the people that are out there putting crowns on the penalty takers and saying that they are heroes just for standing up, well, that wasn't what happened. Gareth Southgate made the mistake of choosing these penalty takers based on analytics that don't mean anything. They don't mean anything in a pressure situation. What do analytics mean in a pressure situation? Whatever you know in, done, done in training doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you put a 19-year-old out there to take the final kick when Jack Grealish wanted to take one. You took two cold players off the bench that hadn't had any time on the ball to go and take penalties. These are all mistakes by the manager. And the players, they don't deserve any praise either. Yeah, they stepped up, but their job is to score, is to score from the penalty spot here. This is their job. They practice it every single day. The penalties were poor. Marcus Rashford with his stutter strip, he was he was very disappointing. And this is coming off a disappointing season. This is coming off missing a clear, almost open goal in the Europa League final. Marcus Rashford, yes, he does a lot of stuff for charity. 
I understand that, and he should be and he should be applauded for that. But he has been; he's been massively applauded for that. And at the same time, he should be criticised for what he did here. He should be criticised for his miss that cost us the Europa League. He should be criticised for this stupid stutter step penalty that he didn't need to take. He should be criticised for his overall form and how he's declined as a Manchester United player, how he lost his England place going into this tournament. Marcus Rashford needs to be a footballer and not a politician. These, this whole team needs to be footballers and not politicians. They set themselves up for this situation. Do I think that it's right that they're getting online abuse and racial abuse? No, that's embarrassing. This whole, this whole support base has been embarrassing from the racist tweets to storming the ground um, and, and trying to get in to just the general binge drinking and the, and the, and the alcoholic culture of England. It's embarrassing. And we're talking about uh, trying to go for the, for the World Cup and hosting another tournament. Who wants to come to England? Who wants to give us any more, any of a tournament? I'd rather go away to a country that knows how to behave itself and go on a holiday and watch it there. We don't deserve it. We are not entitled to a major tournament. Yes, we have unbelievable stadia, but we also have fucking morons walking around supporting the team, throwing, um, throwing drinks off the top of buildings and flares and, and trying to break into the stadium. I'll tell you a story about where I watched the, where I watched the game at my dad's bar, which is located in Wembley. And um, loads of people that didn't get tickets were gathering outside in the street and the bar was at full capacity. The police came along and they said to my dad, you need to close your shutters because we cannot have this traffic, uh, this, this footfall of traffic outside of the bar. So you need to show, shut your shutters so they can't see the game. Obviously, once my dad did this, the people outside got angry and they started to stop the shutters. They broke the shutters, at which point the police, the police had to come and, um, and get all these people away so that they could manually close the shutters that they'd broken. At this point, these dickheads decided to run round the back of the bar and try to uh, climb the fence to get into the beer garden. And uh, once the security was stopping them, they started to smash the fence up and kick the fence through and destroy the beer garden. They also tried to do this after the game as well, once the game was over. And this included people coming out of the stadium. So what I had to do is I had to leave my bar, take my son out there to avoid any kind of riot that was going to take place um, because England lost. Whilst the bar staff had to endure it. They had to lock themselves in and listen to their shutters being kicked in. Listen to the beer garden being destroyed by these boozy idiots outside that will smash it up whether England win, lose or draw. Because this is their behaviour. This is football hooliganism. And usually you'd look at it and go, oh my, it's a bunch of 40-year-old skinheads uh, that have always been doing this for years. These were 20-year-olds. This is the new generation of racists. This is a new generation of alcoholics. This is never going to end. This is English football and it always will be. And this is why we don't deserve a major tournament. And there was a little tiny turning point for me here in this tournament where for one second, uh, this this winning of this, this major championship that England haven't been in the final for for 55 years and me as a supporter since 1989, going to all of the England games, taking my son to England games. I wanted to win this tournament. I was desperate to win this tournament. I was emotionally invested in this tournament. But for a few seconds, for a few seconds, I cared a little bit less about it because I didn't want to want the same thing as the people that I was seeing around Wembley Stadium. I didn't want to have a, a, a common goal 
as the people that I was seeing around Wembley Stadium. I didn't want to see the people around Wembley Stadium being happy. The ones that were getting drunk on and fighting. The ones that were flowing flares. The ones that were throwing pint glasses. The ones that broke the shutters. The ones that destroyed the beer garden. The ones that were massively drunk inside the bar and, and didn't know how to handle their alcohol and behave themselves. Do I want to share a common ground with these people? It, it took me out of the moment. It was it was difficult for me to what to me to see myself as the same as these people and to want the same things as these people. It was a difficult moment, and for a few seconds there, I cared a little bit less through being around Wembley Stadium for that entire day on Sunday. I cared less about the entire situation. So it's been two, three days of absolute embarrassment. Embarrassment from the predictable racism. Embarrassment from the predictable hooliganism. Embarrassment from the terrible takes. The embarrassment of wanting the game replayed. The embarrassment of saying that these three guys are heroes. They are not heroes. Yes, they should not be subjected to racial abuse. Nobody should. But they had one job. It was to step up and score a penalty for your country. They had made no contribution collectively. One assist between the three of them throughout that tournament. And their one job was to go out there and step up. Should they be put in that situation? Probably not. I feel for Sancho because and Rashford because they were cold. But Rashford's penalty was was appalling. To do that stop, stu- stop stutter and, and miss, once you do that, you subject yourself and make yourself li- liable to criticism especially after Harry Maguire just played 120 minutes and smashed his ball into the back of the net. And praise be to Maguire and Luke Shaw for the tournaments they had. Same for uh, Calvin Phillips and, and Declan Rice. I thought the four of them were superb through the tournament. And even Pickford, he had one dodgy game against Denmark. But what more can Pickford do other than save two penalties against Denmark? If you're playing for any other country other than England who are doomed by penalty shootout, and we all called it. We all came on here, and we did a phenomenal podcast for the final, where we covered the Copa America, correctly gave you the under on there. I was leaning towards Argentina, and then all of my guests came in, and we were cautious. We all gave the under. We all gave you the draw. We all saw the extra time, and once it got to penalties, we all saw this win to Italy. That's called scar tissue. We be we have the scar tissue of this situation and we could all feel it and see it. And all of my guests were spot on on that podcast in terms of telling you how this would play out. And it played out exactly as usual, as per the script. Be it a semi-final normally and England going one step further here, it was all the same old thing again. The same pain, the same scars, the same situation, the same embarrassment. And um, obviously in previous tournaments, we haven't seen this kind of social justice and snowflakery where we've perceived penalty shootout misses such as uh, Chrissy Waddle and and, uh, Stuart Pearce and David Beckham and all the players that have missed before. We didn't make them heroes. And that's what's happening here. We're seeing this massive snowflakery. Look, 
they're not heroes. They're footballers that fail to do their job. And that's why England haven't won this major trophy. But it's largely down to the fact that Gareth Southgate allowed this game to drift. Gareth Southgate allowed this team to equalise. Gareth Southgate did nothing with the substitutes in extra time. You had players like Sancho and Rashford that could have changed the game had they not been given 30 seconds to just change the game. They literally came on just to take penalties. And the stupidest thing that he did was that he took off defenders to put these players on to defend a corner. Had Italy scored from that corner 119 minutes in, uh, they would have won the game in extra time and there would have been no shootout. You just don't make those changes in corners. So a plethora of mistakes. In the end, the best team ended up winning this tournament. Italy were the best team from the very minute the, the tournament started. Don't forget, they were the first team that played. And they were impressive in that 3-0 win against Turkey. Yes, there were some inconsistent moments and there were some embarrassing moments for them as well. They... Uh, they weren't great against Austria. Austria really found a way to play against them. They showed the weaknesses in Italy who sailed through the groups and looked phenomenal. But that was one game where they looked very ordinary. Against Belgium, they had a phenomenal first half. But then the embarrassment came through in the last 30 minutes when they were killing the clock, feigning the injuries. And even prior to that, it was a Mobile that came off the floor as soon as a goal was scored when he was trying to feign an injury for a penalty. And then we, of course, had the defence of Leonardo Bonucci saying that as soon as you score a goal, the adrenaline can consume you and you can forget about any injuries that you have. It was a ridiculous statement. There was no defending what Immobile did. And at that point, Italy made themselves the villains of the piece. So we had the perceived, at least in this country, we had the heroes versus the villains. But the villains ended up winning. But I'd say by the end of it and the way our supporters conducted themselves, it was villains versus villains. Because all of Europe wanted England to win and England uh, wanted England to lose and England deserved to lose. Uh, for the way that they played this game, for the way that their tactics were laid out, for the way that their supporters conducted themselves, especially in this final, it was embarrassing. And I think that's the word coming out of it. I'm embarrassed. Uh, the last tweet I put out is embarrassed. Is, is that I'm embarrassed. I uh, disconnected my Facebook account for the first time in 17 years since I joined Facebook so I could stop seeing this shit, so I could stop seeing crowns put on these three players, so I could stop seeing casual supporters coming out with casual opinions. And look, not everybody needs to be an expert. Not everybody needs to come on and do a podcast called the Soccer Gambling Podcast and win people money. I agree. But if your take is so ridiculous, you really shouldn't have one. And that's what the problem is, I think, with social media at the moment where everybody has an opinion on everything. You don't need to talk about everything. You don't need to talk about every political issue. You don't need to talk about every sport. You don't need to talk about everything that's going on. You don't need to turn around and, and make a case that, that Conor McGregor won the first round of the fight on, uh, on Saturday. There were actually people saying that. It's just become a minefield of, of bullshit and uh, I've taken that break from it on, on Facebook as I said done the deactivation for the for the first time in 17 years and uh, I will be going a little bit more quiet on um, on Twitter I've posted my PL for the month of June I've said what I've had to said about this to say about this game uh, I've saved a lot of that here for this show in terms of um, in terms of what I wanted to say about the final. And um, it'll be interesting to see how we move forward. This whole racism issue with the kneeling and, and everything, it's very, very divisive. Um, one of the reasons it's so divisive is because England feels like it doesn't have a racism problem. It does. Every country in Europe has a racism problem. But I think within the grounds, 
we don't have the monkey noises. We do have um, a, a diverse crowd there of different cultures going in and enjoying the game. And this has been because of the, the black players and the mixed race players that are playing for England. And it has become a safer place to go. I remember where when I went back in 1989 or through the 90s, I stood out like a sore thumb going with my uncle, going with my uncle that loved to sing the national anthem because he represented England in the, in the British Army. And it was his right to sing the anthem. And, and yeah, there was some stairs thrown in that direction back then in the 80s and 90s. But the fact is, is that that's no longer the case. We, we can all stand there and sing God Save the Queen and nobody really thinks too much of it when you're inside the ground. I think we don't have a major racism problem. And I think people were offended by it. I think people were offended by the gesture. The fact that the knee specifically is a Black Lives, is a Black Lives Matter um, gesture. And I think that was a big, big problem for people who wanted something more uh, or something different that wasn't so divisive. They would have been fine with the fact that they were standing up for equality, but it needed to be not so closely linked with Black Lives Matter. It needed to be pointing to the respect badge. It needed to be linking arms and, and standing on the halfway line. It needed to be something that wasn't that. But these players were very, very stubborn. This manager was stubborn. It was their way or no way at all. And that in itself caused division from the very beginning. That was a mistake by the players. It was a mistake also by the government, by Priti Patel and uh, Boris Johnson, to throw them on the bus and openly criticise the team what they were doing. There was division all over the place between the politicians and the players trying to play politicians and the politicians getting involved in sports. This was a shit show. And at the end of the day, it was the fans that needed to be listened to. There should have been a gesture of equality, of course, but it should have been a different gesture. This knee was divisive and it always will be. And you divided the country and you were pouring petrol on that situation because the racism that was received by Rashford and Saka and, um, and Jordan Sancho was predictable after you set that chain of events in motion with the petrol that you threw onto the fire. And uh, the, the miss by Saka was the match to that petrol, to that, to that, to that uh, petrol doused, to that petrol doused um, flame. So, all of this could have been avoided. This this could have all gone a lot better. Um, it doesn't condone the the behavioural problems um, that that England have, the hooligans and issues that are there. Um, and, and as I've said throughout the show, the bad takes and the the fact that we are celebrating these guys as heroes. Look, we've done what we should have done, and we fell short. Um, France went out of this tournament in the last 16 stage. I guarantee you that there were no memes or murals of, of Kylian Mbappe with a crown on his head. I don't think anybody said that Kylian Mbappe of France came out of this tournament as a hero. And that is because that country have a winning mentality. They will get up, they will rebuild, they will not celebrate the fact that they lost here in this tournament the last 16. They did not celebrate five years ago when they lost as the host nation in the final. They recognised... And they failed as the host nation in the final. And this is the second time in a row. And look at the comparison of the reaction of the French when they lost to Portugal five years ago when they were the host nation in the final to England, where we are being celebrated as heroes. It doesn't make any sense. I feel that this entire racism situation has completely deflected. We're not talking about Southgate's tactics on Monday morning. We're talking about social media tweets and... I guess also we need to talk about the fact that the social media companies need to do something about this. There needs to now be a verification process and an ID process for going in because what is happening is this um, 
this racism and this whole situation on Twitter is dominating the headlines after every single game, after every single incident involving any black player. And it's becoming boring. It's becoming nauseating. It's becoming something that I no longer have any interest in reading about. Look, idiots are going to tweet things. You either block them or ignore them or you find a way that you stop them from even being able to, to send this tweet. So either you make it a case of you need ver- you need documents to, to, to put any kind of tweet out, so an ID... Or you have a your your account needs to have a certain number of followers, or needs to be on Twitter for a certain number of time before you can even at the the verified account. There needs to be something. I'm not here to do Twitter's job and to come up with ideas for how Twitter stop what's going on. And um, at, at, at its core, is it really? a massive worldwide problem when you look at what's going on in the world. A few dickheads going online, sending out some words. Is it really a major problem? Have we really become that kind of snowflake? Can we really not remember the saying of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Well, apparently they do. They do hurt these oversensitive millionaire footballers. So... That's just my take on it. It's controversial, possibly. Um, some people may not agree with that. They may turn around and go that... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't predict what people are going to say. That's something that I should should have stopped doing a long time ago because you just never know with this with this, with this this whole thing um, when you put yourself in a position to do a show and you go out there and it goes out to a wider audience. You don't really know how your takes are going to be perceived. But I, I'm just... My overall take is just embarrassment in terms of how this whole thing has played out in the end. And it's a shame... Because the tournament was going so well, England were in the final, uh, we were winning money, we did a load of good podcasts throughout the tournament. Uh, it was a good tournament as well, some really good games in there. Uh, four or five games, I would say, w- would stand out for game of the tournament, and you don't usually get that. Um, obviously, as we got down to the later stages, it's predictable where you tend to get that caginess, but three unders cashing for the semis and the final... I thought they were all good games. I thought the final was was decent. Obviously, a lot of tension, uh, tension in the England Denmark game. Perhaps that wasn't all felt by the neutrals. Uh, and a really, really great game between Italy and Spain, despite being a one-all. I think technically that may have been the, the best game of the tournament. Obviously, a lot of people will look at that incredible game between uh, France and Switzerland, and on the same day, uh, Spain and Croatia. In the group stages, we saw a, a, a Germany team outplay Portugal and beat them by four goals to two. So lots of good games in this tournament, lots of good performances, lots of underperformers as well. Some of the big names did just not turn up for this tournament. And was that because we're coming off the back of a really long season? The disappointing performers that I could that I could highlight would be Bruno Fernandes, uh, would be... Um, would be uh, certainly Kylian Mbappe, who I think has to be the the standout one because he's such a big face that was linked to this tournament, and he's a face that's going to once again appear on the, on the FIFA cover, which is which is which is crazy to me. Um, there were there were underperformers throughout this entire tournament. There's no need to go through and, and highlight everybody. But instead, we'll focus on the players that really did stand out. For England, there were there were a number of players, as, as I mentioned, uh, Phillips, uh, Phillips, Rice, Shaw and Maguire, I think, were the standouts. I think England were disappointing in the attacking ends. Obviously, you can highlight the lack of contributions from Grealish, from Foden, Rashford and Sancho, but they didn't get the game time to do it. So it's difficult to criticise those players, whereas when you're criticising this Germany team, 
that went out in the last 16, there was game time for the likes of Havertz and Muller and Gnabry and and Tony Cruz and, and just generally the, the, you know, the players that underperformed in this German team and underperformed in the French team and that underperformed in the Belgium team. Disappointing tournaments for De Bruyne and Hazard again. It's difficult to see where, uh, where Hazard's going to be playing next season. So there were some disappointing performances, but as I said, let's concentrate on the good performances and they do come from the teams that got deeper in the tournament. Performances from, from Denmark, from the likes of Hoiberg and Oldberg, Casper uh, Schmeichel, looking at Patrick Schick at the Czech Republic, looking at this Italy team that guided Italy to the victory. You're looking at Benucci and Cellini still getting it done at their ages. We saw the emergence of Spinozola, who edged Luke Shaw out of the the the, the first eleven for the fi- for the final team of the team of the tournament. Spinozola got the nod over Luke Shaw despite being injured. Uh, we had Verratti and Jorginho in the midfield. Not too much in attack. Disappointing performances from Immobile. He was another one that was disappointing. It was Insignia that was the main attacking threat here from Italy. In Spain, we saw some very good young players. We saw a team that keep the ball really well. If they could score goals, they may have won this tournament. But Morata was a huge letdown up front for them. But as far as creating those chances, that midfield was dominant throughout the tournament. We saw Busquets... Turned back the clock a few years. He had a good tournament. Pedri, he's going to be amazing. He was the young player of the tournament. At the back, perhaps Spain were a little bit suspect, so I can't really highlight any defenders here from the Spanish team. But it was a good tournament in the end for Spain, despite the fact that they didn't win too many games and had to go about things the hard way. Um, It was a good tournament to see them reach the semi-final and really outplay this Italian team that won the game, unlike England, who sat back and allowed Italy to dominate the ball possession in the game against them in the final. But um, it doesn't look like there's going to be any case to answer there for for Southgate. Um, The whole racism issue, the hooliganism, all of that has dominated the headlines. Isn't too many questions being asked about the selection of the penalty takers. Isn't too much question. Ain't too many questions being asked about how he allowed Italy to dominate the ball and get back into this game for his poor tactics. So England will will continue to fail. I think the the twenty twenty World Cup is going to be another bad one for us, um, and and it'll be even worse if we don't get that easy draw through to the semi finals or the finals in that tournament. But. That's not going to be coming around for another 16, 17 months. Before that, we have the entire 21-22 season and we'll begin covering that in the next uh, 10 days. I'm going to take time off. Uh, Usually when there's not a major soccer tournament, I get a little bit more time off. I let my team handle the US stuff like the NBA and the MLB, uh, NBA NBA is a consensus sport uh, like the NFL as well. It's a consensus sport where we make the picks with a team of people. Uh, and I let my team really run things in the summer as I take my time off and, and do less. But obviously during a major tournament, I'm not going to get that break. But I am going to take these 10 days. I am going to take a break from social media. As I mentioned, deactivated my, my Facebook account for the first time in 17 years. Not going to be too active on Twitter. I'm going to enjoy this break. I am going to be handicapping the... Um, the Olympics for my my clients, though, still over at lockbetting.com and the end of the NBA season. But no soccer to really look at until we start doing these future shows. And uh, we still need a decision from you guys in terms of what league we're going to cover. So look for that poll soon on my Twitter account at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. 
where we will decide um, if we do continue on with the Bundesliga. And the reason we're doing that is because that's going to be a very one-sided league. I feel with Bayern Munich winning the league easily, I'm not expecting any major threat from Dortmund, especially if they do end up selling Haaland to add to Sancho. Sancho's gone to Manchester United. That's been confirmed today. But obviously, if Haaland ends up going somewhere, we're going to have no close title race whatsoever. If Haaland stays there, it may be a little bit closer. But look, PSG are winning the league back in France. Bayern Munich are still winning the league in Germany. But we don't know what's going to happen in Spain and we don't know what's going to happen in Italy. So we're going to put that to the poll and see what show you guys want. Do you want the Serie A covered? Do you want the Liga covered? Or do you want the Bundesliga covered? So look for that in the next few days. That's going to be the main thing that I post out on my social media. Before I close out here, I want to thank all of my clients over at lockbetting.com, not just for subscribing, because obviously that is a two-part deal. You subscribe, I win you money. I've done that for 97, what will be coming up to 98 months in a row. But there was a very unique situation that presented itself on um, on Sunday night. And this is something I want to talk about and um, show my appreciation and my and my love for my clients. So we had hedged out picks on Brazil and um, Brazil and England to win the Euros. We'd taken a hedge parlay on Argentina and Italy. So we're in a position to profit regardless because it's called smart betting. So that's what we ended up doing. It's, 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 it's making sure that you're investing in sports and not gambling on sports. On top of that, we had a draw in the England game. We had Italy to win on penalties. So we had hedged ourselves into a position where the profit that we were going to make was much bigger if Italy had won, then England. We'd have made a profit either way because that's what good hedging is. But my clients were pulling for England, at which point in the group chat, I said to them, I went, do you guys realise that we make a lot more money if Italy win this game, particularly if Italy win it on penalties? And a lot of the response was, we don't care. We want it to come home. We, We understand that this is the result that you want. So that was crazy to me. I've not actually dealt with that in the last eight years that I've been providing my service, that my clients wanted me to be happy, even though it would be a full unit swing in terms of the profit that we would make would have been close to a unit less had England won. And uh, the penalty shootout of of the game being a draw was already a success for us. But the penalty shootout and Italy winning it would have been much more successful financially. And it was. But a lot of the clients in there weren't pulling for that. So I thought that was amazing. So I wanted to mention it on the show and and thank people. In the end, we ended up winning more money, unfortunately, which is a weird sentence because Italy did win that shootout as predicted. Um, And I also want to take this time out to give a, a shout out and thanks to all of my guys that came on and previewed that final. I think that was one of the best podcasts that we did. And obviously we were spot on with our analysis. But that's it for me. That's it for Euro 2020. Good luck with all of your bets as always. And... Thanks for listening.